0: publichealth.indiana.edu.
1: Hello, and welcome to Noon Edition. I'm WFIU-WTIU News Bureau Chief Sarah Whitmire. Bob Salzberg is away this week, so Barbara Brozier joins me. Hello, Barbara. Hi. A great show that we have lined up today. We're talking about the election, but we're doing it with voters. We have four voters in studio today. who are going to lend their perspectives to the discussion. We have Brad Fulton, Kurt Young, Beth Schroeder, and Brad, we- Brad Whistler. Sorry about that. Thank you for joining us. As always, we welcome you to join the conversation as well. What's on your mind heading into the general election? Our number is 812-855-0811 or toll free at 877 285 9348 you can also join our live chat at wfiU.org slash noon edition So we can get this started here with a question for everybody So we're coming off sort of an unbelievable primary Democrat Bernie Sanders upset Hillary Clinton to win Indiana Trump beats Ted Cruz and then Ted Cruz suspends his campaign So I'm just wondering when is the last time you can remember so much attention so much focus being put on Indiana in a primary get started off and move it this. Way
2: yeah well i I love it because um, I have family in North Carolina and family in California, and everyone was talking about Indiana so we we're the center of attention and in really pivotal in this uh, primary season so that was great to get the attention
3: uh the attention's nice, but i I just I haven't seen uh, anything like this uh, in quite the number of years I've been voting so it's uh uh, most often, Indiana is an afterthought, and uh, things are, are already di- decided by the time it gets here. So
4: it is interesting. Yeah, certainly this is the the, the first time we've seen this kind of attention on Indiana in a very long time. Uh, I too have friends in other states. I have some friends that just moved from Indiana to New Hampshire and thought they were going to catch all the action. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out uh, they were wrong. We, we had, uh, the, apparently, the more important uh, uh, vote here in, in Indiana. But, um, yeah, certainly I've never seen anything like it.
5: I think we're ready for the theatrics to be over, though, don't you <laughs> feel that? Let's get to some policy and get to some serious issues and, yes. and kind of be done with the uh, schoolyard tactics. There there was so much focus put on Indiana's primary
1: that wasn't intended from the beginning. And then so in in the days before the primary, when all the campaigns were sort of doubling down on Indiana, did they say anything that really changed your mind leading into the to the primary voting day? Yeah. Yeah,
5: go ahead. Um, didn't change my mind. I, it awakened me to some things that I was unaware of. Um, my interest in certain candidates didn't change, but um, uh, the those people that hadn't been formally recognized, um, you know, usually there's a disproportionate number of people that are voting: older people, uh, higher incomes, uh, white, very partisan people are generally who are voting, and, and now we have people that are going to be voting that have been registered before, but they found voice in the Republican Party, and so we've got a, a different set of, <clears throat> of agendas and policies, and um, I think that's been a real wake-up call for America to hear those people and uh, learn from them.
2: Yeah, I think um, kind of related to that, the, the, uh, the Trump supporter that confronted Ted Cruz, um, a Southern Indiana Trump supporter. And the interaction that was played on, on TV and social media just struck me of, you know, this is the broad range or spectrum of, of voters that are out there. And just that interaction sort of highlighted that for me and it was in, you know, in, in our backyard in a sense.
1: Were any of you able to go to any of the rallies or the campaign stops? No. 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 Was no. That,
2: Actually, I tried to go see Bernie Sanders. But the line, there was two lines on campus, and the lines were just endless. And so, and even peop- some people didn't get in, and so I wasn't able to stand in line. But we had two students from Burma who were visiting part of an IU program, and they wanted to go see him, but the, again, the lines were way too long. So that sort of stood out to me as well, the, the interest that the students had, or the Bloomington community had to go see him
6: how would you say you're feeling um, at this point about the election? We've heard from a lot of people who are feeling fatigued or frustrated, and does this extra emphasis on Indiana play into that at all?
4: I feel dirty about it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) To your earlier question, there was really, there was nothing that the candidate said that changed my mind, but the way that things played out definitely changed the way that I cast my vote. I I was a, a John Kasich supporter for the entirety of the election and have been for years, but... When it came down to it, I ended up voting for Ted Cruz simply in an attempt to, uh, you know, force a contested convention and, and and stop Trump. I didn't don't care for either of them really, but it, it seemed like, you know, the way things played out, that was the only option that I had. And that voting for Kasich would have been inconsequential. Turns out, my vote was inconsequential anyway <laughs> because Trump won by such a large margin. But um, it was really. Uh, the first time that I think I had, I didn't vote my conscience in, in an election, mm-hmm. and it was uh, it was a tough choice, and it still doesn't sit well with me. Um, but had to do what I had to do, I guess.
5: But you voted, and you know we're hearing from a lot of people that are starting to um, retract from the process mm-hmm. because they're exhausted and they're tired of the rhetoric and the style and the harsh words. And we just can't lose sight of the effort it takes in a democracy, it's hard work. And this one is hard work. You know, Our IU basketball men and women's team don't walk off the floor when the referees aren't in their favor, you know? You don't give up the game. And we've gotta stay with this all the way through. Every election is very important. And I think we can all encourage every voter to go the distance on this one.
1: Kurt, what are you hoping to hear from the candidates at at this point?
3: What I'm
5: hoping to hear
3: is something other than personal insults and uh, something other than, you know, uh, suggestions about people's appearance and things of that nature. This has been really, uh, at least on the Republican side, a very low uh, bar. A low low standard has been set for uh, campaigning, and these people are running for the presidency of the United States, and um, you know, I, I uh, as far as as what the primary has uh, caused me to uh, think about is is you know there are, are a lot of pressing issues facing our country, and instead, um, you know, it, it, it and largely I think due to the Trump candidacy, it, you know, we're dealing with uh, uh, appearances, showmanship, and um, you know, I, I'm hopeful that voters will become educated as <clears throat> to the issues. And I'm hopeful, I mean, it doesn't take much to do that. News media largely is of little help uh, because they've been covering it so much as a horse race rather than uh, an issues oriented campaign. So, you know, it, it will take a little bit of uh, reading and going beyond who's got the percentages in the polls. But what I want to see is some discussion of some important issues. We've got, um, right now, two wars going on that we're involved in. Um, We've got, um, you know, still the issue, the unfinished issue of uh, uh, nuclear weapons that are still out there and subject to being sold or stolen. Um, That's just a couple of the world issues. And, you know, obviously we've got climate change um, you know, uh, locally, we've got everything from you know education, which is, uh, I think, suffered recently, especially with charter schools. I mean, there are many issues that are larger than than somebody's appearance. Mm-hmm.
1: It's not been a lot about substance. Is that something that sure. all of you see as yeah. a major concern? Mm -hmm. Today we're talking about the election on Noon Edition, 812-855-0811 is the number to call in with your questions.
6: When you aren't hearing a lot of the the topics being talked about that you're really interested about or concerned in, how are you all forming your own opinions and sifting through all of that rhetoric that is all over the news and and the internet?
3: Well, (laughs) (laughs) things are available on the internet uh, that... uh, Go a little bit deeper. I mean, uh, you you have to. They're not as easy to find. Um, there are um, magazines uh, that cover things in more depth. You know, without advertising for any individual magazine. But you know, it's it's a matter of, of looking at different sides of issues and uh, you know trying to to come to a, a reasonable conclusion on you know who you might support.
2: Um, two examples that come to mind for me is I uh, recently heard John Kasich speak with the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco, and it was a um, not highly publicized or charged uh, debate of any kind. It just him talking and, and fielding questions from a fairly liberal audience, a progressive audience. And so that was helpful. Uh, similarly, I listened to Bernie Sanders when he spoke at Liberty University. And again, juxtaposing two different perspectives. And I was most interested not in hearing Bernie Sanders speak to his, his own choir, the progressives, but to speak to a highly conservative um, group and to see how he would address them and how he would try and uh, make connections with them. And so those types of formats um, give me more insight into the candidate versus ones that are debates or ones where they're just speaking to their own audience.
4: I think this is the sort of the double-edged sword of the internet, right? You can find uh, what most people are going to see on your Facebook feed are just uh, you know the memes that aren't going to tell you much of anything, they're mm-hmm. just going to get you fired up. But if you are willing to spend a little time, you can watch the entirety of, of every speech or every interview any mm-hmm. candidate's given. If you're willing to, to put in the time, you can really uh, dig deep on the issues sure. and, and, and even get a glimpse into you know what they're really like, not just uh, in front of a crowd. Exactly.
5: And Barbara, I pulled up um, Hillary's website and Trump's website and put them side by side. And you can go down through the issues. And uh, Trump happens to have six or seven. Hillary has 31 white pages, so you kind of come to a dead end on on one site. But you can do them side by side and, and look and compare. <clears throat> and make your own notes from that because we need that detailed response and not just the sound bites that you get on the, through the news feeds. Um, and I want to echo what Kurt said, this that we've got to get to the bigger issues. We've got to look at the issues that face the greatest number of people in the m- most significant ways, and that is terrorism, that's the world economy, that's um, the war machine, those things. I mean, the the smaller issues are very important and they're worth our study. Um, bathroom rights and and women's rights and and the, there's a whole bunch of them that are, are very very important. But there's another group that are the cream of the crop, and I hate to see us get derailed or vote on one issue that's not the most um, premier imminent. Thing on our plate in the world today
6: we have seen the candidates whittle down so much especially on the Republican side and now that we're looking at you know a much smaller field are you excited about the people who are are still left standing are you feeling strongly in a certain way Brad why don't you start for us <laughs>
4: um, no uh, not at all uh, I, you know I, I've always uh, for years, and I, I've been a Republican for uh, my entire adult life, and, and I've always been frustrated with people who say, oh, the Republicans and Democrats are are, just, are the same. Well, and this year, I kind of feel like they, they, they really are. <laughs> b- mm-hmm. Both Trump and Hillary are saying the exact same thing, which is government can solve all your problems as long as you put me in charge. And that's the thing that's missing from the debate, has been for a while. Is actually debate about what's really is the the proper role of government. That what should the the size and scope of government be. And I think hopefully the silver lining in all this is that maybe a libertarian will finally make the debate stage in this fall election and will actually have a debate about that instead of just who can pander to you know whatever your favorite wedge issue is.
1: So you'd be mm-hmm. willing to switch to libertarian if?
4: Oh, I've already have. I, uh, <laughs> wow, I'm going to vote libertarian this fall. There's no doubt about it. Hmm.
1: Well, that's interesting. Um, so, we you sort of mentioned how the candidates have been whittled down, but I mean, how did how did we how did we get here? What do you think the message has been from? And Bernie Sanders is, is still in the race, obviously, but Hillary Clinton is, you know, it seems highly unlikely he would be able to be here. But how did we end up with with these two, with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump as the front runners here? And Well,
2: I think what what really stands out to me is, in a sense, Trump has always been Trump. There's nothing new about him. What strikes me or what's new is that there's over 10 million people in the U.S. primary voters who have voted for Trump. And so that's just it's that's the new news. Uh, Trump isn't new, but it's it's sort of the eye opener of like, okay, here's uh, a very substantial uh, number of people out there that are resonating with his message. Or certain aspects of his message. And so in a sense, um, that needs to be addressed or acknowledged or sort of wrestled with, of like, these are real voters. These are, this isn't just a media campaign that Trump has trumpeted up, but it's over 10 million primary mm-hmm. voters. And so that's something that what's going on in these communities that are... Driving these types of responses,
1: yeah. and Beth, it, when you were talking about terrorism, I, from folks I've heard from who are who support Trump, that is something that I feel like they kind of get behind. That his saying that he's going to go in and you know kick ISIS's tail—paraphrasing, obviously—but mm-hmm. um, it seems like that is his plan. They they do people do buy into it. I, I don't know on his website how fleshed out that is, but
5: well, he has a, a hawkish. Uh, policy base. Uh, he went to a military school as a young man. Um, he's pro-gun. He carries a gun. Um, he <clears throat> uh, He's spoken openly about his willingness to be commander-in-chief uh, and looking forward to, as he said, the war games. Um, so I think for people that have fears and feel that um, the immigration and the loss of American nationalism is at stake, that he responds well to that group of people. They respond well to him. Um, those are things I'm very afraid of. I, you know, I don't support those issues at all myself. I'm a, I'm a gun control person. Um, I want their limits on semi, semi-automatic weapons and so forth. But, but he, he doesn't. So he speaks often to a, a, a rule base Um, a very independent, kind of frontiersman attitude base of people. Um, And I personally haven't known anyone yet. I really haven't met a person that's voting for Trump that's supportive of of that candidacy. So I'm looking forward to um, them becoming a little more public and and being in restaurants where I can converse and come to understand what I need to learn about what they're bringing to the table.
1: Maybe a Trump a Trump voter will will call in and join the program. 812-855-0811 or our live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition.
6: It, you know, if it does come down to to Trump and Clinton, we've heard some people say, um, both nationally and here in Indiana, that it, it is a tough choice for them because they they feel like, uh, some of them see it as which is the lesser of two evils. How do you all feel about that? Is it a clear choice for for you, Brad? If you want want to start,
4: well, I, I've been saying for a long time now this year that I'm I'm sick and tired of voting for the lesser of two evils, uh, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of the I mean, I think a lot of the different franchise voters have been saying the same thing, um, and it's probably one of the reasons that Trump is is doing so well is because. He looks different than what a candidate has looked like in the past. He's not, you know, you know, trying to um, say what everybody wants to hear. He's only saying what his he's he knows his audience extraordinarily well and says exactly what they want to hear. He's not trying to please everybody. He's only trying to please the, you know, 50% plus 1 that he thinks he can get to vote mm-hmm. for him. And uh, I don't I don't think that's a good strategy, but it's working. Uh, I, I don't think it's good for the country, but it's been good for his campaign so far. Um, so no, I, I don't think I will. You know, I certainly won't won't go for that. And I think it's kind of a false choice. Um, you know, uh, I, in my opinion, um, yeah, they're, they're, both options are bad. That doesn't mean that I need to support either one of them. But
2: I think I think um, I'll say that the Democrats' primary is playing out in a more traditional way. And so when Hillary, if she gets the Um, nomination, then the Sanders uh, backers will kind of fall in line with Clinton, whereas it seems with the Republicans, there's much more of a fissure going on that it's a much more difficult choice. I think among Democrats, it's kind of like, well, our person didn't win, but our second option isn't that bad.
4: Yeah, I think that's true. But the the thing that's so disturbing is is that uh, you hear so many Republican leaders now falling in line saying, well, we have to support Trump because... Well, he's the nominee, and, and you know, we, you know...
2: And then my we, question is, so with the voters... I mean, so the leadership has to fall in line because it's part of their organization, but then I wonder if the Republican voters will fall in line, too.
4: Well, some of them will, yeah. uh, many of them won't, but the thing that's disturbing about that is it, it necessarily says that we're putting party before country, that we have sure, to support yeah. our party's yeah, yeah, nominee yeah. just because yeah. they're the party's nominee. <laughs> And I think, to, for to me, uh, the question I have to answer is, well, you know, is this my party's nominee or is, has my party been hijacked? Sure. sure.
0: <laughs> right.
3: yeah, yeah. Well, in, in your statement about the leadership having to fall in line is, is almost self-contradictory. I mean, it's not very well, uh, not very well leadership uh, to simply follow because uh, this person happens to be a member of your party. Um, if Trump was a Democrat, I wouldn't vote for him. And I'm a Democrat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's uh, there's, there's just no way under the sun that I believe that this country can uh, deal with having such an individual as president. He's an embarrassment to us <laughs> worldwide.
2: But they know if they don't fall in line with him, then all of the down-ticket down, down ticket, uh, candidates will suffer as a result of the other Republican will, candidates will they That's what really? they're thinking. Will they really? Well, I if mean, people you know, don't go out and vote.
3: The reason it's, it's I say fear. that is because... You know, those people uh, that Trump is counting on uh, to win and then those people who uh, Trump used to win the nomination are still going to be there in the fall. You know, if, if in fact that particular movement has some kind of validity that it goes beyond you know the, the very small percentage of people who vote in primary elections, mm-hmm. then the down ticket should be fine. If, 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 the people if on vote, the other hand they don't saying, if on I'm the other hand vote. they don't have any confidence in that candidate they shouldn't have voted for him in the first place.
1: So I'm I'm curious. Really, I just want to follow up on this because Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, was the one who came out and said, you know, not I don't like Trump. Yes. But then now is saying he finds him to be very warm and sincere <laughs> and is sort of changing his tune. So how do you think he's handling this? Are you do you think this was good sort of? He had his concerns, met with them, and now he's, you know, maybe more informed. Or do you think he's just falling in line? I
3: don't think forty-five minutes tells you much about somebody. And I, and I also think, you know, no, with apologies to this radio show, but I also think that uh, that uh, you know um, he's trying to straddle a very fine line. He has, he does have. Um, Members of his caucus are Trump supporters, members that don't like him and won't support him. You know, uh, I think at this point the Republican Party is confused with what to do with this guy. Hmm. Do, you know, ordinarily you would support the nominee at the head of the ticket. But there have been many things said that uh, are going to make it difficult uh, for people to do that. Yeah. Such as the Bushes and Cruz and mm-hmm. whoever else, you know. It's so I think everybody's trying to to figure out what to do at this point. It, it'll shake out some, and you know, I've, I thought it was unusual, you know, that the Democrats this year are the ones that seem to be falling in line, or that expected to fall in line. And usually, it's precisely the opposite. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Democrats are are fractious and. You know, fun people. <laughs> we, we have to take a short
1: break on that note, but when we come back we're gonna we're gonna go to the phones and you can call them with your questions too at 815-812, rather 855 811 We'll be right back.
0: This is New in Edition on WFIU. Welcome
1: back to Noon Edition. I'm Sarah Whitmire with co-host Barbara Brozier today. And today we're talking about the election, and we're, we have some voters in the studio, so we're talking with them just about their perspectives and leading up to the general election. We have Brad Fulton, Kurt Young, Beth Schroeder, and Brad Whistler, and we're inviting you to join the conversation, to 855-0811. We do want to go to the phones now. Deborah from Bloomington has been waiting patiently. Deborah, go ahead. Hi.
0: Um, I just wanted to express some serious concerns about the voter suppression and election fraud that we see in this primary cycle—I um, think it's been most publicized in Arizona and New York. and the some indicated that Baltimore voters have been disenfranchised as well. And I was just interested in a response from the panelists as to your thoughts about the problems and how we should respond to that nationally, uh, with so many voters being uh, disenfranchised from the process.
1: Thank you, Deborah. That is it does feel like we're talking a lot more about the process with candidates such as Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump in the race. They're really raising a lot of te- a lot of attention about issues.
3: Well, if I may, I think that they should get rid of voter ID. I think that they should do everything they can to make it as easy as possible for people to vote. The idea of voter fraud in person, you know, misrepresentation of your your uh, uh, identity is uh, it's it's just a red herring. I mean, there have been very few, if any, uh, documented cases where that's been done. It would not be an efficient way to uh, influence an election anyway. Um, you know, under these particular circumstances, the only thing I can see is that it creates just one little additional burden, small, but it's there, uh, for uh, for. Uh, uh, people, uh, in order to exercise their right to vote. Um, sadly, there's nothing that specifically says in the Constitution there is a right to vote, but, you know, it's, it's quite plain that our system of government depends on that. I would like to see a national statute that would um, essentially be like the Voting Rights Act of 1965 that would outlaw such things, uh, you know, unless the state could show that there is a compelling need in, in and an existing problem rather than some theoretical we're here to uh, determine the uh, uh, or to try to make sure that the elections are are fair. I mean, it's been a, um, a rather transparent attempt by one party to suppress the number of voters of color people with uh, lesser incomes. And um, those voters tend to favor the other party. Well,
2: so. and I think, I mean, a concern for me with voter suppression or voting laws is that it disproportionately affects certain populations of people. And you talk about low income or uh, immigrants, but also elderly. So like some of the voter ID laws require a birth certificate. And some some people grow who were born in rural counties don't have their birth certificate and don't have it on file, don't have any record of it. and so even certain populations that we don't think of being affected by these voting voting laws are disproportionately adversely affected by these voting laws.
1: I saw Beth, you were writing some things down. <laughs> Did you have opinions on this one too?
6: Uh,
5: sure I do. <laughs> uh, also the redistrict, <laughs> redistricting that occurs, especially during midterm elections, when only about 30% of the registered voters come out and vote, things get changed, those lines get redrawn, and they're redrawn frequently to reflect the um, ruling party's strongest interest in the highest voter turnout. So the lines will be redistricted to uh, support where the highest voters are, and then they're catered to. The, the, The officiants then go and meet those needs. And so it further restricts a certain group of people So it is a problem. I I think it's probably more state statutes that are causing this than national, but Kurt, being our attorney here, may be able to speak to that more than (laughs) I could.
3: Well, the redistricting comes every 10 years with uh, the new census. And um, traditionally it's always been uh, the party that happened to control the state house at the time. Uh, that got to draw the maps. you know, frankly, there's no reason that an independent commission can't be set up to, to do the same job. The the caution there is it's it's the same sort of situation where you have, um, in theory, the, the appointment of judges, removing judges from the political process. It doesn't. It just simply means that the political process is in many fewer hands. So, you know... I think a, a redistricting commission is not a bad idea in concept. It's how to ensure that it's not going to do the same thing that legislatures do right now. And the one good thing about having a legislature do it is at the very least you can, can, you can directly vote for those people. Uh, an appointed commission, not so much.
4: So I'll... Offer probably an unpopular uh, <laughs> opinion on this, which is I don't think we can have it both ways. We can't simultaneously shame everyone into voting and saying everybody has to vote and and then and then lament the 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 outcome that we get when people vote based on the whims, based on what they read on their Facebook feed, right? I mean, it, it is it, it's the same thing. what gave us Donald Trump is uh, encouraging, people who are voting just solely based on um, a, a gut feeling or even their their anger perhaps their worst feelings to to get involved in the election and i, and I don't i don't think we can have it both ways um, I, I think if someone is not informed and doesn't want to vote that that's a choice they should be able to make and we ought to let them stay home uh, it, it, everyone should have the right to vote and we ought to Prosecute people who interfere with the election process, uh, and, and it'll, it'll be a serious crime. The unfortunate thing is that it takes so much effort to put on an election that local governments don't have the resources to simultaneously police those elections at the same time. Um, we need to figure out a way to to do that because what what I think we want is willing, eager, informed voters going to the polls and with no uh, impediment in their way, and instead. What we get is, you know, just the insiders or the people who are so angry they're wielding their pitchforks coming to the polls. Mm-hmm.
1: We got a comment from a caller saying she does not believe all Democrats are going to fall in line. And she thinks the Green Party will also be a major player.
2: Well, I would say proportionally the Democrats have th- their, their second option uh, is much more viable than, than in the case of the Republicans. So it's proportionally it's It's entirely possible they won't all fall in line. I
3: would just urge that caller and anybody else thinking about the upcoming election. Do you really want Donald Trump's hand on the button?
1: so the pressure seems to be mounting for Bernie Sanders to pull out of the race he's won he's won a lot of states recently, but still he's not winning all the delegates. so what do you all think is it doesn't seem there seems to be no indication he is going to pull out prior to the convention
2: when I think his main focus is making sure that social inequality, income inequality, is at the top of the ballot of issues that are going to be addressed um, in the presidential election. And so he's, he's well aware of the numbers, but I think his persistence in staying in is to carry the banner of income inequality and make sure that that doesn't uh, fall off uh, the topic of conversations.
3: That in the election, uh, uh, the money and Elections yeah. and campaigns, yeah. you know, and those things do need to stay. I think, uh, in and hopefully, they will be a prominent part of the uh, Democratic platform. I believe that Hillary has responded in such a way to uh, to give them more emphasis in her campaign. You know, it's uh, I realize they have differences in the way they approach things, but. To suggest that income inequality and 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 purchasing uh elective, elective office uh, mm. to think that that's not a problem that impacts
4: our democracy um, is is I think to be blind. I think this is one of the most interesting storylines of of the primary that wasn't really uh, talked about that much as to how the democrat superdelegates have had such a huge role in in this election if if there weren't for that you know we'd have a much closer, closer race, race. Yeah. and and it's specifically because Republicans don't have mm-hmm. superdelegates that it's that this race is over mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, if Republicans had had set up their system the same way the Democrats would um, we we wouldn't have a presumptive nominee yet mm-hmm.
0: Uh, mm-hmm.
6: how do you feel we've heard a lot about delegates this this time around from the candidates some saying hey it's stacked against us here people lamenting on facebook the system is is not fair this is not reflective of of what we want. How do you feel about the current system on on both sides? And do you think it's it's the way it should be? Beth, I see you kind of deep in thought over in the corner. Well
5: it's it's um so unusual. You know I know other countries have a hard time figuring out what we're what we're doing over here because it's <laughs> different from state to state and you know I i have to kind of review it each time this comes up what I'm able to do. Um, I, you know What I'm interested in, and it's the policies being brought to the forefront now and <clears throat> that the delegates going into the convention understand what those policies are. And that when we move away from this, as Kurt said, this uh, this look about personality and style and we look at the substantive issues and the credentials of the candidates, um, you know, the, the credentials just aren't talked about that much, and, and that's how we hire people in this country. I mean, when do you you get on a plane and hope that some flamboyant technician did the maintenance check? You know, you don't. You and When do you get brain surgery and not want the most experienced person doing that work on you? So we, we look over the credential of these candidates and, you know, there's just such clear differences in what's being brought to the table. Um, and I assume and hope our delegates are fully uh, vetted on what that information is. It's readily available, um, but there's a stark contrast between the candidates and what they bring to the table.
6: Brad, I'm curious to hear your take on um, delegates. We've heard some Republicans saying, hey, going into the convention, we want delegates to realize you haven't completely signed your life over and and you could break away at some point.
4: Well, it, it, it's interesting. Um, and the, this. Things have changed dramatically, I think, since 2000. I remember in uh, when it was Bush versus McCain uh, in that primary, there was a lot of discussion about these open primaries, and some states had open primaries, and this is how McCain might have been able to get the nomination by winning these open primaries. That's not even a term we throw around anymore because every primary is open in every state. Anybody can decide the day before an election that they're a Republican or a Democrat and go in and cast their vote accordingly. So it's, it's shifted from... The primary process, the nominating process being where members of the party choose who's going to represent them in the general election to it, it being wide open and 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 there being this sense that everyone has a, a right to participate in, in choosing a party's nominee, even if they haven't previously uh, subscribed to, to that party. Um, so they, the entire dynamic is different and, and um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, you know, one thing that hasn't been talked about much is you know, what happens? What, what are the penalties if a delegate doesn't vote the way that they're uh, supposed to? Um, in most cases, there are none. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we could still have a surprise at, at the convention if enough delegates walk in and or organized so. in
2: some way. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Um, w- the interesting thing is to, to, to watch will be the rules committee on both sides, because a few days before the conventions, the rules committees will get together and decide what are the rules for who can be introduced as a nominee on the floor and so forth. Um, and right now, on both sides, there's a lot of jockeying for position to see who's going to be on those rules committees, who's going to be able to set those rules, because they can essentially shut the door to other nominees if, if they control the rules committee, and that's but where Trump's focus is right now. I think.
2: It seems like the fallout of that is a disillusionment amongst the voting public, you know, with the whole system. It's just sort of like, this is just too complicated, and even sort of a, a withdrawal from the process of being involved. Imbo- you know, I, I work with students at IU, and the number of students wanting to go into public service working for the government is going down and they want to go more into the social sector. They want to go into the nonprofit sector or social enterprise or something with a social orientation, but they don't want to be public servants because they see this this um, the mess or the complications of the gridlock or the paralysis that happens within government, and it's just unappealing. Mm-hmm.
3: You know, I think that's going to end up being the big problem. You know, people not, you know, people disengaging, I guess would be the way mm-hmm, to put it. Mm-hmm. You know, because the answer to fixing this, if, if you think uh, there should be a primary and that people should be bound, the answer to fixing it is not to walk away from it. Because all you're doing is giving more influence to, the, to those who peddle it. You know, it's, it's, you know, and that's where I think Bernie Sanders had a very good point. You know, that in, in with the Citizens United uh, uh, decision by our Supreme Court, anybody can, you know, they, they've equated money with speech. The problem now becomes with people walking away from the process, and really the ultimate decider is still the vote. Mm-hmm. But if you allow yourself to be just influenced by a 30-second soundbite or a bumper sticker, you're being a lazy voter, and in order to be an effective and functioning democracy, we have to at least spend the time to to educate ourselves. <laughs> so walking away from it is just going to make it worse. 812
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 855 We're talking today about elections here on Noon Edition, we have um, an online commenter who wants to know what you all think about the local and state elections, assuming they're thinking about the governor's race and the U.S. Senate race, the interesting 9th District race with Trey Hollingsworth winning. Throw it out there, Beth, start with you.
5: Mm, I haven't spent as much time studying that race. Um, Trey's been a surprise, isn't he from North Carolina? Tennessee, Tennessee, Tennessee. Tennessee. <laughs> Tennessee, and how long has he lived here?
3: Well, it was a month before he yeah. got
5: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not so. following the trajectory of, of how this has come about. So, uh, I, so I. Oh, oh, we got the sign of money from from <laughs> Kirk here. Uh, <laughs> we'll let Brad chime in on this
4: one. Well, one thing I. I can say that I'm uh, very excited about uh, is uh, Todd Young in the U.S. Senate race. I mean, I've known Todd for a long time. He's been a friend, and I think he's uh, a great leader and great representative. And I think it would be great for us to have uh, a senator from right here in Bloomington uh, that would certainly will be good for our, for our community. Um, the other races I'm uh, certainly less enthused about. What <laughs> um,
1: about the governor's race?
5: Scary. Well, a repeat with boring. John Greg and Frank <laughs> Pence?
3: You know, quite frankly, uh, I think, you know, it's going to depend on, on, again, a little bit of voter education. I mean, how it is that that we have money, uh, that we can take money from public schools and put it into charter schools, how it is that we can let our infrastructure continue to crumble while we've got $2 billion sitting in the bank. You know, these are things that people need to think about. And I guess we will as soon as a school bus falls through a bridge. But until that time, you know, I don't know what it takes to get people to start, you know, looking ahead a bit. So I I think that uh, Governor Pence, if people look at it, has a few issues. I mean, how can we, you know, have time instead to worry about restrictions, further restricting the right of a woman to choose? Uh, How can we uh, have the time to spend... Worrying about what bathroom people use, or whether or not a business must serve everybody, uh, give, grant everybody equal protection. You know, I, I don't. I appreciate that the social issues are great for driving wedges. Social issues are great for you know getting people all upset and and carry on. But in the end, we've still got the day-to-day things to worry about. You know. Um, for the Congress, uh, I would like to see, I would like to know how the congressional candidates feel about the uh, people at the top of their ticket. And that includes uh, Senate candidate Young, because quite frankly, you know, this, these are all things that, uh, you know, uh, impact anybody or should
2: impact anybody's decision on how to vote. Um, Baron Hill did a fine job here before. We moved here this this past summer, and I um, have an eight-year-old son, and we're driving around Bloomington, and he says, "Dad, who's who's Pence?" I go, "Oh, he's the governor," and he says, "Well, why do they want to fire him?" <laughs> because of the placards in the yards as we drive by, it says, "Fire Pence," and um, I was like. That's a good question.
1: <laughs> How did you explain that?
2: Well, we had just arrived in Bloomington, oh, and so okay. I didn't know all of the the backstory between, be, behind all of that.
4: If you had been here before, you'd know that there's uh, every Republican governor we've ever had has had uh, fire yes. insert <laughs> here signs around Bloomington. That's not new.
6: <laughs> I am curious um, at the the state level. What issues are you really interested in that maybe are different than the national election? We have seen Indiana in the news for the past couple of years for decisions made um, by the legislature and the governor here
3: i'd like to see our infrastructure worked on seriously we've got and i would like to see uh, you know this this i i really don't like the concept of charter schools uh, the reason is it takes public dollars and it puts it into you know uh, private hands those people do not need to accept special needs students so of course you know and they, they come with an advantage as far as um, making their uh, uh, statistics look better. And in the end, if people run out of money and out of uh, um, vouchers, they can go ahead and uh, I don't know what that sound is they can go ahead and <laughs> and uh, you know uh, tell them they can't come to their private school anymore. You know, so I'd like to see something done with that. I'd like to see the roads improved, bridges. We've got bridges in Brown County on state highways that you can see the rebar through. You know, I mean that's that's crazy, and but buses cross those every day.
1: Brad, what do you think?
4: Well, I'm not sure we agree on the issues, but I think those are two issues that are important at the state level: education and infrastructure are are two that are that the state has probably more impact than uh, than the national or the local level on and so those are issues we ought to be paying attention to
1: okay we we do we've had a couple of callers here so let's go ahead and we'll hear from andy and bloomington andy has a comment or a question about charter schools go ahead andy
0: mentioned earlier uh one of you uh uh concern about the quality of education in indiana and the fact that charter schools uh,
1: would lead to them. Oh, I think, I think Andy, Andy got cut off, unfortunately. So if Andy calls back, we'll work to get him back on. I'm not quite sure what his question was going to be there. Um, so, so we sort of touched on this a little bit before the break, but we had to stop. But just wondering what you all think the impact of the national election is going to have on these local, these local races. Um, Brad, go ahead.
2: <laughs> well, I, th- I mean, the biggest thing for me is um, this this whole question of is um, on the Republican side, will the candidate, Republican candidates local uh, and on up to the higher state level um, align themselves with Trump or not? And even if they do, will the Democrats um, call them out for aligning for Trump? Or will that actually help the Republican candidate by aligning with Trump? So it's it will be a very interesting uh, thing to watch in a sense of because it's it's un it's unknown uh, What alignment with Trump will correlate with?
3: For my part what I've noticed in local races to, is that it seems that straight ticket voting is is de- Declining uh, as well as party, you know identification, so You know it. I still think it has some effect Um I'm just not so sure it's got uh, a great effect. I mean, the, the by that I mean I'm talking about the people at the head of the ticket um, influencing local races. Mm-hmm. I think mean, it's got some, but it's okay. less than what it used to be.
4: I think it's going to be very tough to avoid uh, taking a stance, um, particularly on the Republican side. I mean, uh, uh, there may be a, a few candidates who are just... Um, good enough to rise above it and just stay focused on issues but they're going to get asked at every turn mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so it's going to be very difficult to avoid I think strategically you if if I were a candidate I think you have to go hard one way or the other you, you can't mm-hmm. I mean, you can't be in the middle on on the issue um, so it'll be really interesting to see I think it'll have more impact this year than it has in the past I don't. I don't think it's typically we talk about, you know, coattails and, you know, will mm-hmm. people just ride in on those, <laughs> mm-hmm, those straight ticket mm-hmm. votes. I don't think that's the issue this year. I think it's really it, your allegiance to the candidate is an issue uh, that mm-hmm. that will in, influence the or decision even, of
2: voters. I think voter turnout, I think if, if there's people who just say I'm I'm mm-hmm. reluctant to vote, I, I I don't know where to vote at the top of the ticket, and so they just abstain from voting. And it's hard enough to get people out to vote. And so if there's already that barrier of reluctance or ambivalence, then I think voter turnout could, could suffer as well.
1: Mm-hmm. We don't have a lot of time left here. And, well, first of all, we'll go back to Andy, who who we do have on the line. Andy, go ahead with your question.
0: Yes, I was concerned also about the quality of education in Bloomington and the state of uh, as a result of uh, the dominance of, of charter schools under under the Pence uh, uh, administration. Could you comment f- further on that?
4: Well, I'm completely biased because my kids go to a charter school, a project <laughs> school right here in Bloomington, It's is a fabulous school, and it's been uh, just wonderful for, uh, for my kids and for our family. So I'm a big fan of charter schools. Uh, clearly, there are... Uh, not all schools are as good as uh, uh, as the, the project school is, and there are other schools that that, uh, uh, with, as with any system, there are people who will try to game that system. Um, but I think, by and large, it's been uh, it's been a, a very positive impact um, because you know they they uh, the, the schools uh, have to perform; they have to uh, adhere to the same standards as other schools. Um, yet they have the freedom to. Um, deliver a very specialized curriculum uh, and meet the students where they are instead of simply, um, you know, following along with the playbook that uh, is set at a district level. And it's, uh, it's, it's created a much more, um, uh, I think, a much, uh, a much friendlier environment for kids to, uh, to learn. And uh, so I'm, I'm a supporter of it.
1: Kurt, how about you? Can you respond to that? We only have about 30 seconds. 30 seconds.
3: <laughs> well, I, I don't particularly like it because it takes resources away from the public school system. And Indiana does have a constitutional provision that does require a, a free public education for all children. But, so, but they
4: are public schools. How does, how does it take resources are, away but from public schools when they, they are public but, schools? but, you know,
3: they, they can turn people down. Public schools, I mean, traditional tax-supported public schools cannot. So, you know, uh, and I also think that that puts an extra layer in, in and uh, I couldn't tell you and I wish that it would be investigated by the media, but I think it puts an extra layer of profit taking in it. And, uh, and I don't think that education is a for profit or should be a for profit activity. Okay.
1: Unfortunately, that is all the time, but I can assure all of our listeners this is covering the election is something we are going to continue to do leading up to <laughs> November. That is all the time we have. I want to thank our guests, Brad Fulton, Kurt Young, Beth Schroeder, and Brad Whistler. Thank you guys for joining us. And our producers, Sophia Salby, engineer Mike Pashkash, and Barbara Brozier. Thank you. I'm Sarah Whitmire. You've been listening to Noon Edition.